Hello, and welcome to the Be Yourself, Happy, Healthy, and Hopeful podcast. My name is Stephanie Finkinen, and I am a health educator at the Bulimia Anorexia Nervosa Association, or BANA, in Windsor. Today, we have a really great episode for you. My guest today is Juliana Simon. Juliana is a registered social worker at Trans Wellness Ontario. Trans Wellness is a wonderful community mental health organization within the Windsor-Essex community. Their mission is to enhance and sustain the health and wellness of transgender, genderqueer, two-spirit, non-binary, queer, and questioning communities and their families. Trans Wellness provides individual services such as counseling, peer mentorship, addiction support, housing support, and faith support to members of the queer and trans community at no cost. Trans Wellness also provides consultation and education to other community organizations that are more specialized who are looking to make their services more trans and queer friendly. As I mentioned, I am lucky to have a conversation today with Juliana. I think our conversation is really rich in information and learning and unlearning, and you'll know a little bit more about that after listening today. Juliana is a registered social worker and she conducts intake assessments for new clients. She also facilitates health outreach and provides individual counseling for members of the trans community and their partners. Juliana began her studies at the University of Windsor. She completed a bachelor's of social work and women's and gender studies. Juliana says this is really where her love for activism and advocacy flourished. As a member of the community, she is extremely proud of the work she does at Trans Wellness, and she absolutely should be. Um, She prides herself on the fact that Trans Wellness really is able to offer services that weren't accessible to herself or to her own loved ones who have experienced similar challenges. So this is definitely an organization that is doing some really important work. Also, I think they are breaking boundaries as it pertains to how they deliver services and their philosophies at Trans Wellness. And Juliana and I talk about that a lot within this um, episode as well. So I hope you enjoy listening. Thanks for being here and let's get into it. All right, I am here once again on the Be Yourself BANA podcast. My name is Stephanie Fincannon and I'm a health educator at BANA. I am so happy to welcome my guest today. She works for a wonderful organization within the Windsor-Essex community, and I think this is such a valuable topic to touch upon, Um, and I am super glad that she's taken time out of her busy schedule to be here. Her name is Juliana. Hi, Juliana. Hi, Stephanie. How are you? I'm doing so good. Thanks for being here with us today. Thank you. Awesome. So um, I did give you a brief intro um, prior to recording this with you, but I always like to put it out to my guests to introduce themselves. Like, who are you? What do you do? And um, tell me a little bit about the organization you work for. Yeah, definitely. So my name is Juliana. I use she and her pronouns. Um, I work for Trans Wellness. I have a couple different roles. Um, So Mainly, I do intake assessments with new clients, um, and I do systems navigation. And so, because we're such a specialized organization, we know that we can't do everything for a person. And so, sometimes when people come to us for services, that also means connecting them other places for services. Mm -hmm. And so, a lot of the times, I 
um, work with them to help facilitate the referral, and then they get situated in all of the services that they need. Um, and then another part of my job is I am a registered social worker, and I do general counseling. So I have a pretty small caseload. I work mostly with um, clients who are trans themselves, but also with their partners and their parents and uh, people who support them in order to make sure that um, everyone feels supported in the that person's life um, so that they can all support each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure you find your role quite rewarding and the work that you do at Trans Wellness. Um, I know I was just browsing the website and it seems like you guys also have quite an array of different services. Um, and like you said, you're able to support uh, those of that community in such a broad way, um, which I found really inspiring as well. Um, what led you to doing this type of work? Yeah, so I've always been very much into activism. Um, and so when I was in high school, I was part of the Gay Straight Alliance, and I did a lot of activism work, whether that was going to things like Take Back the Night. Um, I did a lot of activism in my spare time and I really through my own self-discovery found a passion working within this community because they're so underrepresented ever underrepresented in um mental health services and and especially being Windsor Windsor being so small Mm -hmm. um there really wasn't a place for mental health support for this community so when I was doing my undergrad at the University of Windsor in social work I had kind of proposed to my placement supervisor about this organization because they had just hired on social workers for the first time um, to do full-time work and so I thought that was really interesting and I asked and they had never had social work students before and they decided to take us on and that kind of really Mm. I don't I really don't know where I would be if I didn't ask that question and so I'm really glad that I um got the chance to advocate for myself and and do the work that I wanted to do and so that's how I ended up in this job is through my my undergrad placement um Hmm. wow that's really interesting and cool it seems like you were I'm kind of spiritual in nature, but it's, mm-hmm. it does really seem like you were guided to do this work and called to do, and you're doing exactly what you are supposed to be doing. Um, so living out, really, truly living out your purpose, which is amazing. Thank you. Yeah, and you spoke a little bit to me um, prior to recording about um, your own um experience within the LGBTQ plus community and I just thought maybe you'd like to share a little bit of that background as well with our listener um, and you know how you translating this information what it means to you and um, the message you want to get across with regards to that. Yeah so I always say within my work that um I am a social worker, I identify myself as queer, but I'm not part of the trans community, and so I never want, and I am not the voice of the trans community, and I really see my role in allyship as an advocacy role, and so I can use my position as a social worker to ensure that, um, you know, things are, we're creating services for this community based on their feedback, not based on what we think that they need. And so I think that's the most important part of the, this 
discussion is that I'm never speaking on behalf of a community. Um, I speak for myself and I speak for my community, but I do not speak for the trans community. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. I always think that's a really important message. Yeah. I think that's um, really fair to, to put out there. Um, And I know I shared with you too, that um, my goal in this is, absolutely to get that um, message across as well that I think it's really important we hear from lived experiences and um, you know from someone who you're you're a close contact that has um, more knowledge on this topic than I do at all Um, I obviously want to be very respectful of that as well so I think it is important to put out there um, as we get into these conversations and um, I know that in my role at BANA and just working kind of in a social service role as well, that um, we, come, we come across individuals of various different backgrounds. And it's always about learning and also unlearning. <laughs> um, and so I guess, you know, this might apply to you, but it, given that like you've told me about your background a little, it might not. But when you first started in your role... Um, did you have any really big learnings or unlearnings? Uh, definitely. And I think that that sometimes is our biggest mistake when we come from the queer community, but people who, um, are cisgender like myself, that we think that we have nothing to learn just because we're within the community. And I don't think that's true. And so I really did learn a lot when I, I first started, especially, kind of what I've already said of of no one person's experience is the same. And I think that that was the most valuable learning experience was Mm -hmm. getting to do some self-reflection of like every single person has their own story. Every single person goes through um, their life in a specific way. And they like, we always say being trans is not a monolith. So it's never one Mm -hmm. story and we can't get ourselves trapped in one story. And so that was the, one of the best things that I had ever heard was that, you know, this experience is not a monolith. It's not one experience. Every single person is going to go through this different. There is, and a lot of the times I have to explain that to people too, when they, they, they come to us yeah. and think there's like a checklist of all the things that you have to do, but it's a really nice uh, spot to be in because I get to say, no, you're in complete control and we get to help. We get to be a, a hand that kind of, guides people but at the end of the day they get to choose exactly where they want to be and what um, items they want to check off their list mm-hmm. not that every single person is going to have the same list but I think that it's really that that was yeah that was the most that was something that resonated with me the most is yeah that every single person is going to have um things that are important to them in this journey and there are other people who might not want those same things Mm, yeah you know what that's such an important like piece um like specifically to the population you serve and you know what it made me think a little bit too just about um you know accessing healthcare in general and how perhaps there's a little bit too much of that like checking off the list you know like you know you get the prescription you go get the prescription you take the prescription you get better uh you recheck with your doctor you know like and that's what a lot of people are used to um but it kind of like I like that you said that because it was a little bit inspiring to me that you know perhaps we're moving away from those traditional models and and like in the um 
organization that you are in, it's kind of breaking boundaries, which I, I like that about that. Um, and I hope a lot of more professionals are kind of, and I think we are, but as we move forward, we're recognizing the need to like tailor the treatment and the services to the client versus the other way around. Um, so really cool point there as well. Um, yeah. So maybe if you don't mind, um, can we maybe, maybe get a little bit more into um, the multiple services that Trans Wellness offers our community? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, so one question that I definitely had, and you you alluded to it already, but um, maybe are there any other eligibility requirements to access uh, Trans Wellness? And what would someone's first steps be in order to um, get in touch and learn more? Yeah, so currently the only requirement, the only, um, like, I would call it a limitation sometimes, but the, the only requirement we have at the center is that you have to be 16 years old or have parental consent to engage in counseling. Mm-hmm. But that's that's the only, that's, pretty, that's a pretty common one. Um, but other than that, there are no... Um, requirements for service we just obviously we have a specific um demographic which is people within the trans and queer community but you don't have to be out you don't have to be you don't have to have any self-identified labels you can be questioning you can be unsure you could want more information Um, we really don't limit um our clients and especially Mm -hmm. people who are unsure and in that learning phase we want to give them a space to be able to explore that safely and so i would say the only requirement is you need to have an open mind and be able to work alongside us um, because it's never we're we're never going for the same results so not every single person who comes to us is trans or is Mm -hmm. part of the community but they just want a safe space to be able to maybe ask questions um explore things and maybe that at the end of the day, they, but that's not the journey for them, but at least we gave them a safe space to do so without, um, mm-hmm. shutting anything down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And did that answer the question? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it did answer the question. And I, it made me also kind of, um, think a little bit more about some like follow-ups to that <laughs> one being, okay. I know, um, and I, but I love that. I love how it's kind of like this exploration and, trial and error I think even with some of our clients at BANA like they come in looking for something specific and then they leave learning a lot more than like not what they expected either um so but having that safe space and just you know the support along the way it is so valuable I think um another question after you said the 16 year olds and up can access the one-on-one um therapeutic treatment I just wondered uh, if you also know of anything like for youth that they could access within Windsor Essex and maybe that's putting you on the spot a little bit but <laughs> <laughs> sorry if, if, but is there anything you know of I, I know that um family services and I believe Windsor Pride they have kind of collaborated to make Q-Link and mm-hmm. Q-Link is providing counseling through family services and off the top of my head I don't remember what the um, age ranges are yeah. it's just 
for, and it very, very rarely happens where we get clients who um, are under the age of 16 without parental consent, but that's just for counseling with registered social workers. They can Mm -hmm. access all other programming. Okay. Um, So aside from the like one-on-one with a social worker, what are some of the other services you provide that you feel are um, more regularly accessed? Yeah, I would say the most popular program that we have is our peer mentorship program. And that is, we have four peer mentors. So we have a trans feminine peer mentor named Angelina. We have a trans masculine peer mentor named Robin. We have a non-binary peer mentor named Sydney. And then we have a parent peer mentor named Jennifer. And I would say that is one of the most if not the most valuable service that we have because it's one-on-one peer support with someone of the same um, or similar community that you belong to. And so because of that, we, and most of the time people pair peer mentorship with counseling. So you have Mm -hmm. um, your mental health is supported and then all of your transition related goals are supported. And then we can collaborate the peer mentors and uh, the counselors. And so I would say peer mentorship is the most valuable program because sometimes our peer mentors are the first people that clients meet who are trans and they're the first people that they can look up to and relate to and see right now virtually but before in person Mm -hmm. um, face to face of of almost like I can do this or this is a this is a reasonable goal Um, and so that's in my almost well I guess I have been here for a year now in my year of working here I have seen the most success from clients who are engaging peer mentorship Mm. yeah I think that really highlights um the importance of like seeing yourself represented um Mm -hmm. and it's very nice that they could have it so um like close to home and like in real life um but it also points to the need that I think we also need so much more representation like within the media but it just, I think it does speak to normalizing that um, you can live whichever way you would like. And when you see yourself out there and represented, um, it makes it more possible for you to follow through and, and achieve what you want to achieve. Um, I know that within like eating disorder research, that um, one of the most protective factors in relation to like engaging in um, risk-taking behaviors so eating disorders being one of them is just having an adult or a mentor of some sort in their lives that they can trust and go to Um, so it really sounds like you've achieved within your organization um, that type of protective um, role that someone could access and hopefully like build a good relationship with and um, feel safe in and in order to be themselves, which is so important. Absolutely. And that is, it's something that I've gotten to witness. And it's really a beautiful thing because some clients who I did intakes with my first month as a student are still clients and and I get to see Mm -hmm. really the, the positives that can come out of these situations. And a lot of people come to us without having any connection to the community especially because of the the situation we're in with COVID. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of queer social spaces were places that were shut down. 
and whether that were was um and in Windsor they were far and few between but being the center as one of them where people could come for groups and they could come for events and then we weren't allowed to do those anymore especially because sometimes home is not the safest place for people who are trying to explore their gender identity it made it a lot harder to do programming because it's almost like we didn't want to expect people to out themselves by doing a an online group Mm. or have to explain those things to their parents or explain the things to their partner um or roommates or whoever Mm -hmm. because a lot of the times people in our community um are not in the, the best living arrangements and because we are underrepresented in um you know affordable housing and stable jobs and things like that um being through living through the pandemic really showed that we had to get creative with what we did to keep people safe and I think allowing to still allowing um peer mentorship to happen even if we couldn't do groups and social events really helped with that isolation Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah this pandemic has just um been so difficult um for those already up against uh, various barriers um so you know we we also at Banna have kind of done what we can um but it really does um like you said like the need of for creativity has been so <laughs> apparent and you know what thank god for virtual um but like yeah. but you know what I can see how that would be very um, difficult and nerve wracking for someone in like the situation that would be accessing your services. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, all right. So aside, just before I leave, kind of like as we've been talking about the services, I don't know if you wanted to touch on anything else that you guys provide to the community uh, before I move on. Um, so our housing support program is slightly different than like a traditional housing support program that you would see in the agency. Um, because we do have limited capacity just based on what our funding looks like, um, we do still rely on community partners who are already doing wonderful work. Um, but we just provide advocacy for our clients who might be in precarious situations in order to make sure that, that um, you know, nothing their their needs aren't being ignored because of maybe ignorance or biases things Mm -hmm. like that so um that's what is really special about our housing support program is that we we kind of do more with less Mm -hmm. and we get to be in a a slightly different position because we can really truly advocate for our clients to be treated fairly and correctly Mm -hmm. yeah very important um I and I also noticed on your website that you have provide you provide education, um, one being sensitivity training for workplaces. I think in the past I've actually attended something probably similar, um, and I know it was very valuable. And our organization um, and our staff actually made changes to things like intake forms and um, how we operate within BANA in order to take those suggestions into consideration. So I wondered um, if you could explain some of those things that might be discussed within those trainings. Yeah, so there's a couple different types of programming um, that the education team provides. So I would say the most effective and the most subscribed to is the gender and sexuality 101 training and that really just goes through the basics of you know how to 
especially within a workplace, how to support someone who might be um, coming out, who is going through process like changing their name, changing pronouns, how to even ask for pronouns in, in, in the first place. Maybe that's through an interview process or mm-hmm. um, on, a, on a job application or on an intake form. And so we're trying to, to go into the direction of kind of splitting things up because before we were very general. And so creating something that's more so for healthcare and service providers and something that's more um, just based around workplaces. And so the gender and sexuality 101 training I find has been, uh, has, has gotten very good reviews and it just in a very simple terms goes through the basics. It's exactly what you think it'd be. It's a one-on-one training on, on um, everything regarding to gender identity, uh, sexual orientation, what the difference is between the two, how to ask questions in a way that isn't um, offensive and in, in a way that doesn't put people in uncomfortable situations. Mm-hmm. And so that's what's really unique about our training. Also, is that we can, like our, our education team, most of them are members of the a trans community. And so it's it's nice to have those voices in those situations because they can say, these are situations that I've been in in my workplace and this is how I felt. And you can truly hear in their voices and in their stories of how harmful these things can be when, they're, when you're not properly supported. Um, mm-hmm. And whether that's in a workplace or whether that's in school, um, it's just super important to actually hear that from uh, someone with lived experience mm-hmm. from their point of view. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it strengthens the message. Um, and perhaps it even kind of hits on, you know, that human experience, right? Like when you hear it from from someone who's been through it, um, it touches, you know, parts of you, I think, emotionally, or if you have a heart. <laughs> <laughs> but emotion that emotional piece actually I think is really impactful as well and hearing it from someone and how it has influenced you know their self-esteem self-concept um body image all of those things is just um really important again highlighting what we spoke about at the beginning how like getting these messages from someone with lived experience is so valuable um and I mean, I think you kind of made a good segue for me to get into some of those questions. Um, I know that perhaps people who are listening are of all different levels of understanding or perhaps they know a lot about this topic already and how to, um, you know, ask in a respectful way someone's pronouns or things such as that. Or maybe someone listening has no knowledge at all. Um, And I mean, we're all at different stages I think, personally, I think it is our personal responsibility to educate ourselves. And, um, you know, trans wellness provides these type of services. But also doing our own research, I think, is really important. Um, That's my opinion. (laughs) But that being said, um, if you don't mind, I just want to talk about some of those things you already brought up. Um, One being, like, why is it important to be considerate of one's pronouns yeah absolutely and I think that just to echo what you said I think it is our responsibility to Mm -hmm. be the ones to educate ourselves I've even heard it from other social workers who just say that they don't have the time to understand they don't have the time to um, look into 
this research when that's your duty as a professional Mm -hmm. is to make sure that your clients feel respected and that you are doing everything you can to keep yourself competent and to keep yourself ethical. And so in my opinion, as someone who's done this job and just been in this, um, in this community for so long is respecting someone's pronouns and to be considerate of that is suicide prevention. It's mental health first aid. It is um, a protective factor. That is something that I think gets overlooked. And a lot of the times people get nervous because they don't want to make mistakes on their side. But at the same time, you have to at least show that you're trying. And so I always introduce myself with my name and my pronouns. Um, Just as someone who's been in the community, I know that if you start the conversation with your pronouns, other people are going to be, um, feel they're, they're going to feel more comfortable to share with you. And so either that looks like you asking someone, oh, what's your name? What pronouns do you use? Or what pronouns honor you? Um, and then checking in and making sure, you know, every couple months, if they're not, you know, if you don't talk to them very often, but I know that with, um, some people who are more fluid, it's important to keep asking these conversations. And so maybe that's every time you talk to someone, you you make sure you keep your pronouns in your bio or beside your name and your email sign off. It just creates space for people to feel comfortable doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was really well said. And I also like how, um, like, I don't know how to put it. I guess maybe how you didn't like sugarcoat this. Like, you know yeah. what? It is. It is really important. So um, let's stop being you, like, I just kind of want to say, you know, let's stop being like, oh, I'm scared. I am um, going to make a mistake. You know, it, it actually I think it actually shows that you are trying when you call yourself out a little bit on it. Um, and mm-hmm. even I really like the wording you use, like, um actually maybe you could say it again um what what pronouns honor you is that what you said yeah 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 that's been um I like that wording just because I don't know it makes it very clear that sometimes when we do intake when I do intakes because people have been through very medical models they think that our intakes very it's not like I'm trying to say this in a way that makes sense it's (laughs) um it's completely client-led, and so we don't need someone's legal name. I don't need the sex or the gender that's on your ID. It's completely however you want to identify yourself, and sometimes that shocks people. And so because we're in such a medical model, even in mental health care, mm-hmm. um, of like providing your legal name that's on your legal documents and um you know going through that really bureaucratic process we're not we don't do that (laughs) and so I like to ask those questions in that way because it means that you can choose how you want to identify you can choose your pronouns and they and even on our intake form it says these these can change at any time (laughs) you just have to let us know Mm -hmm. um, and we will adapt and we will change things for you because Sometimes people don't get that other places. And no. working within very binary systems, like even like the legal system or people who are getting any sort of government assistance, it's very rude. 
rigid and you don't have that flexibility. And so I feel like if we have that opportunity to do that here, why not? So I like to leave things open-ended in that way of what, what name honors you, what pronouns honor you, and to make sure it's clear that these, these can change. And we know that these change. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's, how I, that's how I've been doing it. And it kind of, it, it adapts as you keep doing this work. And as uh, I've been doing the work, is my words always change and language always changes. And I think we're really, people get scared of that. People get scared of the fact that language changes really fast. But I think it's a beautiful thing because we just keep growing. Mm-hmm, right, yeah. It's like flexibility um, in all areas of life should be embraced. I think like we get scared of change in so many areas, um, but with change and with that flexibility is more freedom. Um, and in this case, freedom to be yourself, which I think is actually quite beautiful. <laughs> um, okay, so I want to get back to some of the terminology. And um, so for those, I mean, we've been t- kind of using uh, the term already but um for those of you listening who might not know um, I just want Juliana to describe what does it mean to identify as transgender yeah so and back to what I said at the beginning like there is no one definition and there is no one way to be a a person who is trans and I think that what's nice is that we've gone into a space where that is changing and and how you see trans people in the media is changing and I think that the technical definition Mm -hmm. is um someone who's identifying with a gender that is different than their sex assigned at birth and so there's a difference between sex and gender as we know um and what the terms that we use now are assigned female at birth, assigned male at birth, and then your gender identity can be different than that. And so that's the technical term is that you're identifying with a gender that is different than your gender assigned at birth. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I think that's that was really clear. Um, and I like also how, again, Julia has identified that, you know, that can look very different based on person to person and that person's journey as well so it's not always a uh, one size fits all um and it seems as though um you guys have really taken that into consideration and gotten feedback from your community and um in like things in terms of providing your services and intake forms and language and all of that i think that's pretty amazing um And then I also wanted to, I know someone has asked me this in the past as well um, and has gotten confused about it. So what is the difference between sexual orientation and gender identity? So gender identity is how you feel about your gender and how you express your gender. Sexual orientation, sometimes it, it depends on how you're identifying like if someone is identifying as a lesbian or if someone is identifying as as gay, it, it depends kind of on your gender of who you're attracted to. Um, but they're not mutually exclusive. And so I think that's the most important part. And think something that gets confused is that your gender identity is how you present yourself, how you feel about yourself. Your sexual orientation is who you're attracted to or maybe who you're not attracted to. 
if you're not attracted to anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very, yeah, I think that's the, the best way to describe it is that, like, your gender identity is how you present yourself and how you feel about yourself, and then your sexual orientation is who you're attracted to, who you love, um, things like that. Mm-hmm. No, that was really well described as well, I think. Um, and when I was like, when I said, I think people have asked me this, just like given the work I do and um, in terms of like accessing services and things like that, um, I, th- I remember thinking like, oh, like to me, that seems so um, like, like I understand it pretty clearly, but when I thought about it, I guess like I do live in a little bit of a bubble and like a social service bubble where I have more knowledge. Um, But I do think a lot of the confusion does still come like from what is in the media and like how and what is the representation that does exist Um, or just people again being confused and um, not wanting to look at it or not wanting to understand perhaps. Um, so I, I do think like we are getting further in terms of, um, having more representation, but like there, we've come a certain length of the way and then there's just like so much more to go as well. I don't know if you would agree. (laughs) Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And even I, I get myself, I I always forget that I am, I'm in a very small bubble, mm-hmm. especially working in this community and, um, you know, having very close friends in this community and everyone who I know is loving and accepting. Yeah. Um, sometimes I forget that other people aren't. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's silly, but um, even like if you see any sort of positivity about trans or queer people in the media, just for your own sake, never read the comments. Yeah. <laughs> I always forget that oh no, everyone isn't like this. And there's still so much, there's still so far to go. Um, But I think that we can't diminish the work that's already been done because I don't even think um, a place like Trans Wellness Ontario would have existed 20 years ago. And that's kind of where a lot of my coworkers, where our passion for the work comes from, is that we didn't have these spaces. People 20. 10, 15, 20 years ago, didn't have these spaces. So we need to fight for these spaces to exist. And instead of just being in this, like, all for nothing mentality of, like, truly working with the community and truly working with community partners to make sure that our clients are supported in every single aspect, instead of just trying to do everything under one roof, I think has been the most beautiful thing. Um, And the fact that I get to make connections with people from other agencies who really want to learn, who really want to, to do better for their their clients and the people who they service. And so that's, mm-hmm. I think, where the work is heading is really working together um, and making sure that these spaces can exist safely for people. Oh, yeah. Um, when you were speaking about how... <laughs> like you are in a community where there is a lot of like acceptance and love it made me think about I was looking at your website and doing some research before this conversation and I did look at the staff directory and then I I was thinking that like oh this must be such a beautiful place to work like (laughs) I was reading some of the descriptions and thinking oh wow like I bet she just goes into work and feels happy (laughs) 
it's rewarding. Um, it's probably very like inclusive community. So I, I can imagine that that is so true. Um, and then also you, um, which I, I didn't ask you at the top, but I did want to ask you, cause you've said it a couple of times, how you collaborate with other, um, agencies within the community. And so what are some of those that you work very closely with and that stand out to you? Yeah, so I would say off the top of my head, if I'm trying to think of like referrals that I do weekly, a lot of the times it's for um, inclusive healthcare. So we often refer to Windsor Family Health Team on McDougal. They're a wonderful resource for our clients and for even some of our staff. Um, I've had very positive experiences with them. Um, and so they're a community resource that we really hold close to our hearts. Um, CMHA. A lot mm-hmm. of times we get referrals from CMHA and even um, just workers independently who want a little bit more knowledge. And a lot of the times that, that means like a case conference. We do a lot of case conferences with other agencies um, because most of the times our clients are, I want to say, they average between like two to five other community resources. And so um, sometimes people don't realize that we like the capacity of our mental health support. Um, but we really do get to work with these agencies closely, and it's really cool. Mm-hmm. I'd say a more recent one that we've been working closer with is RCC, Regional Children's mm-hmm. Center. Um, and you, whether that's um, giving programming or like give it a, pro- providing resources to them about what our services are, whether it's making referrals both ways. Um, we do refer to BANA a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that very similar to a lot of places, services um, have been strained due to the pandemic, us included, and I know that BAMAs have too. And so it's it's hard working within these systems because mm-hmm. um, the clients need support, but everyone needs support right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, it's, it's kind of like, I keep saying, it's like walking upstream. It's like walking up a river, yeah. up a hill. Um walking against the current um, is trying to make sure that everyone feels supported and safe in their mental health right now. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. That's a good analogy. It's like um, we're being faced with a lot of factors that we never thought we would be faced with. And, um, and it, I think it's really testing our strength, (laughs) everyone's strength and everyone is in like a different boat or whatever you want to call it. Um, making their way upstream but yeah yeah, I'm really big on self-care and taking breaks and um you know finding a little bit of joy in your day as you can um because those little things actually do go a long way um and of course relying on the supports that do exist out there like you've said um so uh in the interest of time I also want to touch on something really important um before we we run out of time here and you did mention how um, occasionally you will refer to BANA, and um, that's that's great. I know in my role as health educator, I have done some education and uh, collaborated with different organizations, like you mentioned QLink. We've done a little bit of some workshops within um, with with them as well. Um, research out there, though, unfortunately, although there is some, it is kind of limited. Um, what exists regarding um, eating disorders and body image and the LGBTQ plus community. 
Um, that being said, we know that this impacts that community largely. And just in general, I think body image is such um, an important topic to consider with the population you serve. Um, so when I say that and all of that, what are some of those unique considerations that you can think of as it relates to the trans community and body image or eating disorders? Yeah, definitely. And I've noticed this more throughout COVID that um, we talked a little bit before about protective factors that right now there are far less protective factors Mm -hmm. than there are risk factors. And so unfortunately with our community, um, the risk factors are much higher and specifically when it comes to concerns about body image, whether that's through gender dysphoria, um, when your risk factors outweigh your protective factors, I think it, it puts people in a situation um, where they could possibly you know, engage in some disordered eating behaviors. And so that was something that I was interested in including in our intake form because I feel like sometimes it's not talked about um, because especially with eating disorders and with um, things like um, consecutive dieting and things like that, over-exercising, I find that those things that when people come out, they want to either hyper-masculinize or hyper-feminize their bodies. And sometimes that's through disordered behaviors. And so that's really where I've noticed it is that I think that gender dysphoria and body dysmorphia go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when people have such skewed views of what their body looks like, it leads them into doing things that are unsafe. And whether that's through learned behaviors or whether that's from the internet, uh, it's hard to say, but that's really where I think the majority of our referrals come from is even people who would not self-identify as having an eating disorder or having problems with um, food or a difficult relationship with exercise. I think it's so deeply, deeply ingrained in our our society of this, like just need to shrink your body Mm -hmm. um, and your need to fit into this, this ideal um, model. And sometimes, unfortunately, from what I've noticed that in this work is sometimes that fall, our clients fall into rigid gender roles and for men sometimes that's having um you know very defined bodies and for women it's having very small bodies and that's not the case and so that's something that as a social worker and just as a person I'm very aware of and I think that it's really important to keep consideration to those things because it's sometimes forgotten about um and that especially because of COVID, because risk factors are so high that I'm seeing more and more people who are having trouble with their bodies and having trouble with food. And I think that everyone deserves to um, have support in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was really well described as well. Um, as you said, how, like, you know, there's just increased stressors, um, more times on our phone, and um, you're kind of, also, when we were in lockdown, you're in your home with food as a constant trigger. We were bulk buying food as well. Yeah. Um, and then on social media, you're being basically bombarded bombarded with the message that 
you know, you need to look a certain way and have an ideal shape, size based on how you, perhaps how you identify too. Like you said, some people equate, you know, masculinity with what maybe that's broad shoulders or whatever. I think that's probably a pervasive idea out there Um, or just, you know, shrinking ourselves to fit a certain mold. And that has been, you know, kind of just shoved down our throat so much. So like you said, it's important to kind of check ourselves um, because a lot of these things are glamorized and normalized in society and COVID hasn't made it any easier, um, as you mentioned. I really like to, like, you use the word shrink ourselves. And, like, I know that um, in some of, like, the work that I've done in research for presentations, too, I found some really good quotes. And they've also used that word, like, shrink ourselves as it relates to, like, eating less and equating that to, like, not showing up as yourself either. Um, just becoming small, right? Um, I think it was, I don't know if you're familiar, I follow an Instagram account, his, um, I believe it is his pronoun, is he pronouns or he his pronouns, his name's Sam Dylan Finch, are you familiar with him? Um, I'm not, I don't no. think so. Well, the reason I started following is he's had um, an eating disorder and he has ADHD and he's also trained as like a counseling psychologist but I know that like I read a quote and he put it that way as well like like let's stop shrinking ourselves let's expand and like you know show up fully into who we are Um, I really enjoyed like that type of language because that it provides a visual as well of like kind of like your soul shrinking and like you're just stuffing down your feelings Um, whereas when you start letting it out and like fully expanding and being yourself and eating flexibly and you know listening to your body it really does like give me this visual of just like being you like your whole self (laughs) um and shining your light to to be cheesy but (laughs) i know that from just doing i did my undergrad in social work and i did a double major in women and gender studies and women and gender studies gave me such a wonderful toolkit for analyzing those sort of um, um, like gender roles that we have to and even societal roles that we have to come to. And I, that's kind of where that language came from of women specifically, not just people who are born women, but women in general are, or were, I should say, but sometimes this is still um, something that comes up. Women were taught to be smaller, and I'll never forget it. It was one of the lectures that I had in my first or second year, but why it's considered feminine to cross your legs and why Mm -hmm. it's, um, like, a power stance for men to sit, like, with their legs open. Like, it was a whole lecture about body posture, and it's because women are, are taught to make themselves smaller physically, and that's kind of where diet culture comes into that of this, like, you shouldn't take up space, whether that's physically or um, with your presence, with your, with your, um, I think you said like shine your light, like you shouldn't be seen or heard. And that's a very old way of thinking, but that's just where Mm -hmm. um, that um, model came from. And that's kind of, it's always stuck with me. of like women, whether, you know, trans, queer, cis, straight, you know, all races, all gender orientations, that doesn't discriminate. Like, 
you are taught to not take up space and to be seen and not heard. And so Mm -hmm. I think that's really important that like we go against that and we take up space, whether that's with our voices or with our bodies um, or with what we do in life. Like we deserve that. We deserve to be heard and take up space. Yeah. Amen to that. Um, (laughs) And like you said, like it is an old thought. However, I think it still exists so much. Um, in our society and like I know I have to even sometimes I get real fired up by what some of the things I see on social media and I have to take breaks because like unfortunately I think that idea is still perpetuated in a big way um but and I know like in um eating disorder treatment um that's one of kind of the exercises like how can you take up more space and like actually be in your body and like how does that feel and exploring that with them which um, is probably very foreign to someone who is used to shrinking themselves Um, but you know like analyzing that discomfort and like where it came from and why and like what does it feel like to take up space I think is really interesting yeah and I even think because um, we have been in the community not just as trans wellness, obviously, for a couple of years now, that we're really trying to get away from doing every single thing possible under one roof, because we realize it's literally impossible to do that. And so by, you know, understanding what our competency level is as social workers, as peer mentors, as an agency, um, I think that's where it's really important to rely on those referrals, uh, because we know that places like BANA, and RCC and SAC and every most of the community partners that we work with very closely um, are doing such a good job and we want to that the most important thing is just making sure it's a safe space for our clients as well and so that was part of my job in the summer was making those connections with people um, to ensure that we're making these referrals safely because at the end of the day we are they're safe in our hands, as we know, but mm-hmm. we don't want to pass them off somewhere that isn't safe to get some a specialized um, mm-hmm. service, whether that's eating disorder support, um, sexual assault support, things like that. We want to make sure that they're safe referrals, and we've done a good job at that so far. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, thankfully there is um, lots of mindful organizations that I think take this into account, at least in like the mental health field within Windsor-Essex which is nice um but I think like what you've done is is so important kind of making those connections and ensuring kind of like a little bit of a vetting um ensuring that that you would yeah you would be passing them off to someone safe because I have heard um accounts of you know um particularly like youth within like accessing medical care and then them being very turned off by having a negative experience and then that setting the tone for them accessing care going forward. So like, again, it's it's actually really, really important to be passing them off to someone you can ensure is like an organization that is taking all of this into consideration because it does have long, long lasting effects. Um, and it removes another protective factor if they, you know, are very turned off or have a negative experience with a health professional. So, Exactly. And unfortunately, a lot of people come to us after having those negative experiences. Right, um, yeah. And 
is dumping that we've been getting a lot of dumping from yeah. places that have clients who are trans but need specific support and don't know how to address it adequately and so um I think and this is maybe just like a, I can make a little PSA that we want to work with you mm-hmm. we want to work together in in making sure that you feel comfortable and safe as a professional to give this person adequate care because we don't want we we know our competency level and we know what our scope of practice is and we know that we can't be all things for all people and so it's really important um us as professionals to work with other professionals in a space that's non-judgmental where we can you know politely and correctly address some of the concerns that clients may have if they're going to them um in regards to their gender identity and sexual orientation and so that they feel safe but also can get specialized care that they need and so that's my little psa Mm -hmm. because i felt like it it keeps happening and we we don't want to turn other agencies away we want to work hand in hand and create strong connections um, to be able to give everyone the same experience no matter who you are or how you identify Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was an important PSA. I'm glad you put that in there. <laughs> um, okay, so I, I want to be mindful of your time and respectful of your time. So I have, you know, two shorter follow-up questions and then um, we will part ways. But my first question, and I think it's an important one, is if someone did want to learn more either about... Um, trans wellness or just about all of the topics that we've touched upon I feel like you could probably learn a lot more um what are some of those or where would you direct them um or maybe if they even wanted to get involved how could they do so yeah so definitely because we're a nonprofit, um and we're um, only funded through grants for our programming we really heavily rely on volunteers so if you're someone who has a passion for this community and wants to help out and has you know, the space and the energy to be able to dedicate some time, um, we would happily accept some volunteers, um, whether that's to just help with day-to-day operations, whether that's to help with events and um, things like that. Like We're more than happy to, to accept volunteers in that capacity. And then I think our, our website is a wonderful, wonderful resource. And in the rebrand, um, the staff spent a lot of time in making a website that is very thorough. And so our website even has a glossary of terms. We have, you know, some, all of the information about our individual services, um, where you can get more information about volunteering, where you can get education on education or when you get information on education, um, and then just some general resources. But I would say if you're a professional and you're looking either for more information for your organization or you just want to have a conversation, I am more than welcome to have that that conversation with people. And I I always say our our reception area is the best place for first point of contact, and then they kind of direct you um, to whoever's going to be best to help. Perfect. Yeah, I will definitely put um, 
the website within the show notes when we post the podcast. So that will be um, available to everyone listening. Go check it out and do a little bit of your own self-education. Um, they have some great resources, as Juliana mentioned. Um, and I, my final question, because our podcast has been named uh, Be Yourself, Happy, Health, Healthy, and Hopeful, and um, because of that, I always end the podcast and ask my guest, what are you hopeful for going forward? And that can be up to your own discretion how you want to answer it, but it could be for yourself, for the community, for Windsor, Essex, or for, you know, trans wellness in general. What are you hopeful for? I would say that I'm very hopeful in general for the scope of mental health care going forward in all of Ontario. I think especially because of COVID, we have we have the facts and we have the numbers and I, because I'm a little bit of a nerd, I can't wait to see what the research shows us in a couple of years of, of the impacts of what has happened and hopefully, um, and I'm sure that Abana, you, you resonate with this. I, I'm hopeful that, that what we do is taken more seriously and what we do is really valued from a legislative standpoint and from a funding standpoint that I, I just am hopeful that we can continue to exist and that we can continue to have this space. And when I say we, I mean pretty much all of the agencies and organizations in Windsor Essex who provide support to people um, like BANA, like Trans Wellness, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really hopeful for that. I, I think that we've gotten a lot of information about how truly how valuable um, mental health care is um, and I hope that it's taken more seriously and we can expect a widening of the current programs offered Hmm. yes I am absolutely hopeful for that too I think maybe one of the best um, answers I've heard to that last question <laughs> something we can absolutely relate to at Banna too it's like okay we know now that this is so necessary um, and unfortunately, got, like money makes the world go round. <laughs> so you said yes. it very eloquently. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I absolutely still hope that um, we can do what we're doing and beyond as well. So that was really well said and a great way to kind of wrap up our conversation. I feel like I could have talked to you forever. Um, <laughs> you had so many. Yeah, you had so many, um, you know, great tidbits and information and knowledge to share. I know I learned a little bit, um, and it was a really nice way to spend my afternoon. For those of you who are listening, um, definitely check out the website. It is uh, transwellness.ca. Again, I'll put that in the notes. Um, And if you are listening, um, please also visit banna.ca and... um, you can access our resources there. And um, if you are struggling with an eating disorder, please reach out. It's always a sign of strength rather than weakness to access care. Um, I think our conversation today very much highlighted that theme as well. So thanks again, Juliana, for being here. Um, I'm sure our guests really appreciated learning a little bit more about trans wellness and the work that you do. Um, Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This was wonderful. And I'm very, I'm always excited and um, 
enthusiastic to be able to talk about the work that I do in my job. And I think that, um, you know, it's a really important service and we really appreciate the amount of community support that we have. And so, Yes, absolutely. Your passion exudes from you as you talk talk about this topic. And I think that is, you know, the recipe to being an effective clinician and providing um, services to those in need. So um, like I said from the beginning, it sounds like you really are living out your purpose with this work. So I commend you and um, I'm so happy that I got to spend this time with you.